Amen. Well, let's, let's pray together this morning. Father, we come, we come, Lord, in need of your word. We come as those who are needy. We come as those who need you, the God who is in need of nothing. You are self-existent. You're self-sufficient. You're entirely independent. You do not need anyone or anything. And yet... You made us, and you love us, and you even sent your son to die for us. And so we thank you, we praise you, Lord, this morning. We come as those who are desperately in need of you in every area of life. We recognize that we are just weak and just in countless ways unable to go through this life apart from you, even if we think we can. Lord, you know our frame, you know our thoughts, you know our hearts right now, you know each one of us. We just pray that your face would shine upon us this morning because we need you. Help us, Lord, that we would go to your word and rest in Christ would go to you and rest in you. Help us to see our calling and not to shrink back from it as we turn to your word here in just a few moments. We ask, Father, that indeed you would grow our love for you, our love for one another. How vital this is. And so we look to you this morning and we pray for your hand. We ask for your grace. And we just, and I know I, I just set this, sar- this sermon before you, Father, and just pray that it would be used for your name. That as we see what your word says, may you affect us and change us and transform us, Lord. And may the world see exactly what Jesus exhorts us to here this morning. And so we look to you, Father, and ask for your grace in your hand and just set this moment before you. And even as we have sung these songs of praises to your name, may we continue in worship of Christ as we turn to your word now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Of course, we've been walking through this Gospel for... A number of months now. I haven't kept track of how many months it's been, but it's been a good amount of time. But uh, we are continuing this morning now with the Gospel of John chapter 13. We'll be in the last few verses of this chapter, so verses 31 through 38. So as we come to our passage here, it comes with quite the contrast as well. So if you remember from last week, so the verses that just came before the ones we're in this morning, there we see that there is these verses this morning, quite the contrast. So the verses right before the ones that we're in now, they told of Judas's dark betrayal. And we saw that, we saw how Dark it was, we saw indeed as the the passage ended there that it was night and it was night. And so Judas goes out from them because he is not really of them at all. Now in contrast to all of that and Judas's betrayal, you know, hating Jesus, turning away from Jesus and turning away from the community of Jesus Here we come to the call to love and to love Jesus and to love one another. And what we'll see ahead, it so affected John, who's the author of the Gospel of John, 
that he would devote much of his letters, of which he also authored 1 John 1, you know, 1 John John through 3 John. And he would devote much of that to talking about and emphasizing our love for one another. And so these verses just made this massive impression upon him that you hear it again and again in his letters. Well, why? Well, because of Jesus' words in our passage this morning. So in view of Jesus' words, John, he would write in 1 John 4, 10 through 11, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He said that before the verses that Jared read this morning. And so Judas, he didn't do that. And he didn't get this. But may it not be so for us this morning. We are intended to get these words. And so what lies ahead in our passage this morning is to be a chief mark, even a chief kind of banner over us as believers, as followers of Christ and as disciples of our Lord, as Christ's church. And so we haven't read the verses here yet, but you'll see exactly this as we see them here. So let's begin here in verse 31 from John 13. So may God bless the reading of his love wrought word. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter He said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Amen. So with those words and the words we just read here, we begin kind of our first steps into this kind of farewell discourse from Jesus. And this discourse, it will take us right up to John 17, or as you might know it as well, as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And so, so far in this gospel, we have heard again and again this kind of repeated call. And what is that call? The call to believe. And just kind of again and again, we've heard it from Jesus. We've heard it from basically from every angle. Again and again, the call has been believe, believe, believe with all urgency, with all sorts of pleading to all variety of people. It has been believe. And so now here in our verses here until chapter 17, where we get to the prayer of Jesus, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, we turn to what may be equally summarized as the call for Christ's disciples 
believers to go and to live out what they believe. And so believe, believe, believe was what we've been hearing. And now it's a call for all of us, all who know Christ, to go and live, live, live for him now. And so we're going to see that as we kind of progress through these chapters. And so along these lines, we come to a passage that you and I need. And I'll just say this. We need and even must set before our eyes this passage again and again and again because it just kind of gets out of focus so quickly and so often as disciples of Christ. And so we need to do that. I'll just kind of proceed. Anything else I say with just that? Let's keep it before our eyes, saints. Haven, wow, let's keep this before our eyes. We haven't walked through it yet, but man, let's keep it before our eyes. So it's brief, but how deeply it should and must define Christ's church. And so we've already seen something of how these words, you know, affected John with what Jared read there and what I read. And so if you hear his, the way that he's been affected and in, in what we've already heard from 1 John, we'll just say what well, that needs to be the same amount and the same effect that it had on John needs to be on me too. So just right now, say in your hearts, that's the kind of all-encompassing effect it should have on me and on us. But before we get to that command in verses 43 through, or 34 through 35, we have kind of the precursor to his command, which it's not precursor by way of not being important, but my goodness, it is important and it is meant to precede it. And so he tells us or he tells how he will be glorified. How he will be glorified. So Judas, he's now gone. He's not there any longer. So this instruction here, it is for those who are truly his. Those who truly know Christ. So this is for his disciples' ears. Now, no doubt here, as we've seen, I mean, the cross is right there. I mean, it is on the horizon. You could see it. Right around the corner, it is coming, and it is coming very quickly. And so almost like a light switch here in fulfillment of God's word, Judas, he would go out and trigger the events that would lead to Calvary. Yet, look at the word used there in verse 31. Now is the Son of Man glorified. It doesn't just say, you know, if we maybe had written this, you know, now is the Son of Man or now the Son of Man will die. You know, just kind of plain Jane is going to die. It doesn't say that. No, we we are being directed towards a certain kind of particular understanding of glory. So here we see a different view of glory. Verses 31 and 32. So the glory or Jesus' being glorified here, it is referring to his death. Yes, it's, it's his facing of the cross. And so we see that for certain. And I think, you know, we'd be hard-pressed to find really anyone if you kind of walked around and took a census at this time period, you know, and you kind of asked, you know, what do you think about the cross, you know? I don't think a lot of people would say, oh, that's glory right there. You know, you know they wouldn't look at that and say, that's, that is glorious. That is being glorified to go and die on the cross. I mean, the cross, it wasn't seen that way. I mean, they would have, they would have looked at you like, what are you talking about? You know, that's not, that's not the way you view that. The cross, it is a symbol of, you know... The death, it's a symbol of torture, a symbol of pain, a symbol of humiliation, a symbol of shame, a, a symbol of even punishment. Not glory. 
But that's the word Jesus uses here. Now the Son of Man will be glorified. Amen. Just to help us feel kind of the strangeness of this a bit more, I mean, how many songs we have that lift up the cross as glorious. And, and that's right, we ought to do that. But just survey these. You know, when I survey the wondrous cross, I mean, the, the people here... What do, you, what do you mean by that? You know, they wouldn't be thinking that way with a wondrous cross. That thing that's torturous for criminals. Wondrous. The power of the cross. What? You know, the old rugged cross. You know, Jesus, and even this, Jesus keep me near the cross. Near that shame, near that death, near that humiliation. So there's, you know, nothing wrong, of course, with those hymns. I mean, it's right that we sing them, yet how strange these songs would have been in their ears, you know? This would be like us saying, you know, when I survey the wondrous noose, you know? The power of the electric chair. That's, that's just odd, isn't it? That's not the way you think of that. The old rugged guillotine. Uh, no, you know, and, and Jesus keep me near the firing squad. You know, <laughs> you see how odd that is. Yet Jesus says this is about to happen to him. He is about to be glorified. And the cross here is not a sign of defeat. It's not a sign of, well, you close the book on Jesus. <laughs> you know, that's this one big old failure. It's not that. Death here does not win. Amen. And what lies ahead, he will be returning to his Father. Glory. He will be honored. He will be exalted. And he will be lifted high. And his name will be above every name. So his name, he will be glorified. So in him dying, as it says here, God is glorified in him and God will glorify him at once. And we see this, we see something of this as well, you know, in John 17 when Jesus is praying to the Father just to give a sense of what he means here, you know, in John 17, 14, or John 17, verses 4 and 5, he says, he prays, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so this is a different view of glory from the world. The world does not view death this way. I mean, it's, it's a whole mind of avoid death at all costs, you know. Avoid talking about death. Avoid pain. You know, avoid suffering. Avoid anything that makes you uncomfortable. Well, here we don't see Now is the Son of Man going to die, but instead he is going to be glorified. A different view of glory, different from the world. So we see that, and then we also see that this is something only Jesus can do. This is something only Jesus can do. You cannot do what Jesus is about to do here. This is only for him. And whether you've noticed it or not, this is a point, you know, we see again and again kind of uh, magnified and elevated and highlighted again and again throughout our Bible. So from Genesis 3 onward, we just see this again and again, this question of, well, 
could this be the one who will save us from our sins that happen, that sin, that separation from God, that's a distance that we cannot gulf? That question is hovering over every page. And so, will it be Noah? Will he be able to reverse the curse of sin and death and separation from God? And the answer is, no, not him. Will it, will it be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Will, will they be able to do this? And the answer is, no. Well, surely Moses... You know, it's got to be Moses. I mean, he's just such a godly guy. I mean, or maybe even Joshua. No. Well, what about maybe Samuel? You know, what about Saul or, or David? You know, maybe he'll be the one or Solomon. And again and again, it's no. Well, is there anybody... Is there anybody out there who can save us? Who can reverse the fall of Genesis chapter 3 and gulf the gap between us and God and make us know Him once again? And the answer from our side of things with all the Davids and Sauls and Abrahams is that it's none of us. Each one of them in each one of us, all and every one have these words engraved into the tablet of our nature, stained, broken sinner. You're born with that over you already. So you just look out over the millions and millions of people and just stamp over them, not fit to save. Except this one. And so it is that Jesus, he tells them in verse 33, where I am going, you cannot come. Because you can't. (laughs) This is something only he can do. And how tender he is here as he speaks to them. I mean, he he says little, he calls them little children, you know. Think of our children, you know, how we speak to our, you know, know, little little child, you know, just that that you have much to learn, you know, need more guidance. And, you know, I love you so much. This, This tender words here that Jesus says, little children, and just like little children, They will long for Jesus. They will seek after him. But this is something only Jesus can do. And if you look ahead there, so past the command to love, this is the point that Peter, he just can't wrap his mind around. You know, he hears what Jesus is saying and he says, you know, oh, (laughs) You had that command to love each other. You know, I, I hear you saying that and all, but, you know, I, I, can't really, uh, I can't really understand what you mean by that. What do you mean I can't go with you? You know, you, you know that command to love is good and all, but what, what do you mean I'm not going to be able to go where you're going, Jesus? And so Jesus repeats himself, and Peter, he seems to understand this because he you know, he, he understands even there's a component of death to it because he tells Jesus he's willing to lay his life down if it means that. You know, I'll give up my life, you know, if that's what it means to follow you. I'll do that. Yet Jesus, he asks Peter in verse 38, will you lay down your life for me? And so this... This question, it, it kind of serves as a, a correction in part. I mean, Jesus needs no one to lay down their life for him. You know, you, you can't save Jesus. Jesus came to save 
you. So, you no, know, Peter, you're not going to be able to lay down your life for me. But at the same time, it also carries some truth with it. This question, Peter, he will follow. He will lay down his life for Christ afterward, is what Jesus says. But not until he's denied him three times. You you cannot save Peter. You need me. And so Jesus is saying, this is not something that you can do, Peter. And he's saying the same thing to each one of you this morning. This is not something that you can do. Either you cannot save yourself. You cannot gulf that gap. It's infinite in separation. He is the only one who can save us. So in light of these things, then we see our need to regularly remember what true glory is. So have you ever, you know, woken up and just kind of done everything backwards, you know? You know, put put on your clothes backwards, you know, put your socks on with different colors, you know, and you know, put the the wrong shoes on, you know, not even brushing your hair, you know? Well, I think we've gotten glory all backwards as well. Even in the church. You know, we sing those songs, you know, Jesus keep me near the cross and we want the salvation but we don't really want the cross. We don't really want that. You know, give me that relationship with God I don't want to have to deny myself and take up the same kind of cross you're carrying and take that and live out the Christian life that way. Well, glory isn't having everything you can get in this life. It isn't simply a name change where we mouth the words, I am a Christian has a little more significance than that. True glory is associated with Christ and the cross. It's it's a death to self and not more of self. It isn't pride. It's repentance. I mean, how many of us, how many of our churches are just known for being a repentant kind of church? It's normal to come, even not even in church, but even at home. You're there just like, Lord, I have sinned and I repent. I'm going to go make that thing right with that person. I'm going to go say I'm sorry for this thing. I'm going to go and repent. I'm going to turn away from it. How many of us in our churches you know, end a sermon and we're just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of leave respectably when instead we should be leaving or we should be bowing on our knees and seeking God's face. When Jesus, you know, says to so many churches, hot, cold, not lukewarm. But what, where are we? Have we even asked that question? Would we even want to ask that question? So it's not pride, it's repentance. It's recognizing that in the cross, the glory of God is most clearly seen, known, and displayed. It's, it's in aligning yourself with Christ and His cross. It's, it's a delighting in God and His will and His glory above all things. If that means suffering, if that means repentance, which it does, <laughs> if that means all these things that we're called to do, we will do them. Because I delight in you above the glory of men, above the glory of this world. My hope is a certain hope of things to come. 
My future is certain regardless of how many may defame or shame or put me down. So saints, may we keep this view of glory ever before us. It's in the cross and Christ and lives conformed to him that our hearts and our minds and lives are set aright. Will it look all nice and neat? No. Will it be messy? Yes. But is it then that our worship soars, not from masks, but from hearts that are genuine? It's then that the gospel goes out, and it's then that the gospel fruit will abound. So remember what true glory is, and then also see our need to continually lift up the sufficiency of Christ. Where Jesus goes, he goes alone. Salvation is only found through Christ where it is not found at all. There is no second way. He is all we need. He is the lone, sufficient Savior. And unfortunately, you know, I, I think we can sometimes, you know, think of Christianity like, you know, this kind of carrying of a, a heavy boulder up a hill, you know. And we just kind of hope that our strength will last long enough to get us to the top, you know. If I can just carry it and muster it the whole way, then I'll finally get to the end and be in glory. Well, that's not Christianity. Christianity is when you put your faith wholly in Christ. It's just Him. He's the only reason you're saved. Just faith in Jesus. That's it. (laughs) Nothing else. So upon putting your faith in Him, you are at the top of the hill right then and there. Already, no more is needed. Christ is your all. He is enough. He has paid it all. No boulder. If you know him, you're going to be there. Period. So see the sufficiency of Christ, and then we see also our need to be willing to lay our lives down. Be willing to lay our lives down. You know, Peter, he may not have seen everything fully here, but he would indeed lay his life down for Christ. And that may not mean you will physically be doing that. But we are most certainly all called to do that. And before you kind of just think, you know, laying your life down, I've got to go do the most radical thing for God right now. You know, I need to go on a mission trip. Then I'll be godly, you know. I need to go and be a missionary. I'm going to do radical things for God. You know, before you think of doing all those things or like, maybe I should become a pastor and do radical things for God. Before you do those kind of things, I would suggest that is not primarily what God is calling you to do. You may do that. You may even die for Christ, but he is calling you to more. He is not merely calling you to a moment of laying your life down, but he's calling you to a life of laying your life down to Christ. And you may well do great things for God, but before any of that, let me ask you, what does your day-to-day life, life look like? Are you daily dying and living for Christ? I mean, are you even living for him right now? You want to do the radical things where you're not even doing it now? Now that is the challenge. That's what he's calling you to do. That's what he's calling us to do. And so when we 
come to a new day, we come saying, you know, Lord, with this new day that you're giving as the sun rises, as I rise from my bed, just, you know, here is my life, Lord, laying it down right then and there. Here is my life as I go to school or as I go to work or as I go home. Here is my life as I get married or I am married or I'm single or if I remain single for all my life. Here is my life, Lord. Do with it as you please. That's the kind of daily thing we're called to do. Where it's not so radical and even sometimes it's boring, right? Boring days. But you say, with it all, I give my life to you. I'm laying it down. Boring or whatever comes ahead, it's yours. And so a better question for us is not will you lay your life down for Christ, but are you dying to yourself right now? And all this then readies us for what Jesus says here next. Mindful of the cross, mindful, he's only the one who can say mindful of what glory is, mindful of all that. He then gives us his new commandment in verses 34 and 35. Now, Jesus, he plainly says here that this is a new commandment that may throw you off a bit, you know? So let's think about that for a second. So it is not new, but at the same time, it is radically new as well. So it... It isn't new in that we've, we've heard, like we haven't heard anything like this before. We have, you know, uh, even Jesus, you know, Matthew 22, love your neighbor as yourself. So we've heard that. In fact, we've heard this many times, you know, uh, we see it in Leviticus 19.18 also. So you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's not, it's not new per se, but it is very new. <laughs> so this command, it is given for them and for us as the new covenant community, as those who now are living under Christ, as those who love Christ, as those who have Jesus as our King, as our Master, as our Lord, as our Teacher, as our Model, as the one who inaugurated His new covenant with His very own blood. And so He commanded them and us to love just as He loved. Wow. Now that is massively big. There is your standard for love, church. He's saying, you remember my words? You remember how I served you? Well, love like that. You remember how I I washed Judas' feet? You you remember how I washed my enemy's feet and I, I loved him even to the very end? Well, love like that. You remember the cross, the suffering, my burial, love like that. That's how you are to love one another. And in loving one another like that, verse 35, all people will know that you are my disciples. And so this is a great distinct love and as we saw before this these words just so deeply impacted John you know and he, he just reminds us again and again of this if you just as you leave here today just go read first John through third John I mean you'll see it again and again throughout those letters 
again and again. He's saying, love saints, love one another, love each other. Come on, everybody, love, love each other. Don't miss it. You need to love each other. Are you loving each other? Again and again and again. And so, church, we are to be the visible expression of Christ's love. And so you say okay to that, you know. It's nice and all, but what does that look like? Well, it's, it's Christly love. And Christly love, it, it's, it's humble. Just ask yourself, is this indicative of you? And, and I know every one of us is going to say, Lord, help me grow. <laughs> you know, help me become these things more, Lord. But it's humble. It's servant-hearted. It's sacrificial. It's gracious. It's tender-hearted. It's speaking the truth in love. It's joy-filled. And it's a wonder to behold. And God is the one who forms that love in us. No bolder. God's the one doing this. This is part of the glory of this new command. It comes from hearts that have been changed. You've been giving, given a heart of flesh and life. It comes from people who have the Spirit of God inside of them. What you do if you know the Lord. And this is what it says about what the Spirit does in those who know Christ. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this kind of love is empowered by God through Christ, by the Spirit. And so you won't love like this if you are not a genuine believer. If you don't know Christ, you will not love like this. John says in 1 John 4, 7-8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So I just kind of urge us here, church, as you look out on this time of COVID, We need to examine ourselves. We have some heart work to do here. Not hard work, heart work to do here. What is your life typified by? Is it marked with this kind of love? And yes, it's going to be messy. Yes, you're still a sinner. Yes, you struggle with sin. Yes, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So we're doing all that. It's messy. But yes, we are also leaning in and loving one another in the mess of it all. So is it there? Let's do... We're not going to leave that point yet. Let's do a bit more digging here. There are certain things that stand out or that can at least stand in the way of this kind of love in us as believers. You know, Paul, he talks about this in Ephesians. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 through chapter 5, verse 2, he tells us this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger. And I'm reading slowly. Let's just examine ourselves here. Ask of yourself. Is this in me right now? Do I have these things against someone or have done these things? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, 
a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So you see it. You see John 13 right there. You see our call to, to really take it seriously. And, and yes, I need, to, I need to examine my heart. I need to ask, do I have bitterness towards someone right now? Lord, forgive me. Help me change. Help me love like Jesus loves. That's the kind of thing we need to be doing. So what do you need to put away? And you may need to do that this morning. How are we loving as he loved? And the heartbeat of this love, it's not, it's not grit, but it's love empowered by God in Christ. It has, has Christ kind of always set before our eyes. And this love is not something that we hide, church, nor is a love that we can exhibit alone, church. Jesus has not made an individualized Christianity an option for us. To say I love Christ and I hate His body, miss no myrrh. <laughs> Big time. We come back to First John. How are you going to love one another? In fact, you're not loving one another by not being part of the body of Christ. Warning! Faith in Jesus is not privatized. Jesus does not know of that. This love is churchly. It's believers loving one another. It is this churchly love that displays the love of Christ to the world. It's going deeper than mere attendance. It's getting involved in the body of Christ. It's becoming part of a home group. It's eating together. I know COVID's going on, but we'll figure it out. You know, rejoicing together, suffering together. It's thinking the best about one another. So saints, let's strive for that. Let's strive for love like Christ. And what will happen The world will see it. The world will see it. So let the world know of your love for one another. Let them know the depth, the sincerity, and the extent of our love. And this is why we began with examining ourselves. This is not about a manufactured sort of love. It comes from what God has done in you comes from a person who knows Christ and has experienced the love of Christ. And you know, this, is, this has been seen throughout history. The world and history have been witnesses of the love of Christ from the church. The early Christian theologian Tertullian, he wrote during his day that those who didn't know Christ were amazed at Christians and their love for one another. He said that they were saying in his day, see how they love one another, how they are ready even to die for one another. So it is our love for one another that tells the world, see the love of Christ. So Jesus, he doesn't say, by, all this, by this all people will know you are my disciple if you love like the world loves. He doesn't say that if you function like the world functions. He doesn't say that. He says, no, but he says we are to love one another. And so our love embraces God's word. It delights in the gospel. It pursues sound doctrine. It pursues faithfulness. It pursues godliness. It pursues holiness. It pursues a Christly, churchly love. So, it is in view of Christ's love, then we love church. Like I said, a high standard, the Spirit of God in us. We're on top of the hill already. He is in us. We have life. And now let us just go and love one another, throwing off privatized religion and love even as our Savior loved. Amen. So, Love one another well, brothers and sisters. Love one another, Haven. 
May this community in this area know us by that, at least by that. Let's go and let our love for one another show the world the glorious and all-sufficient Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning and I, we just come. I just, so many things in these passages that, Lord, as you know, call us to repent, to call us to change, to call us to be more like Christ. Help us, Father, that you would help us to, to, to rightly see glory as it is, to rightly deny ourselves daily, to, to, to seek after loving one another in these ways. May you, by your Spirit, produce that in us, Lord. And may we, with all of who we are, pursue it as well, with fear and trembling, working out our salvation. Let us pray, Father, also, if there's anyone here or online who doesn't know you this morning, Pray that they would see they themselves need the only one who can save them, Jesus Christ. Help them that they would put their faith in him or talk to us, come, you know, message us, whatever they can do. And we'd love to talk with them. So pray, Father, that you would help them even now to decide that they will follow you, they will seek you, they'll put their faith in you, or they will seek to find that answer. And so, Lord, we just ask, Lord, as I know how many ways you're calling us, Lord, as a church to be different. So may you help us, Lord, as we respond by song. May you help us to resolve to just that. Help us, Father. We look to you, and we can do nothing apart from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, that was uh, that was good stuff this morning.